0: You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 69. Today's topic, cybercrimes and Brittany's story. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, I'm glad to be back with you because we have another great guest on the show today, someone who will open up our eyes to more and more that's being done to end human trafficking.
1: Well, I'm excited because Tracy Webb is our guest, and she is a senior trial attorney in Los Angeles, on the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. Her role is cybercrime and child abuse policy and prosecution. Tracy, welcome to our show.
2: Nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: So tell us, what is this cybercrime and child abuse policy and prosecution job? What does that look like? I know it sounds pretty big,
2: doesn't it? Yeah. Um, It's actually a a sort of a broad-based combination policy and prosecution assignment where I handle all the technology-facilitated crimes against children, which is also a mouthful. Um, but basically what it means is any crimes that are committed against children using the technology of the Internet. Okay. And it's, it's pretty relevant today because probably about the last year, year and a half, that's been primarily focused on the issue of human trafficking and the way the Internet is used to traffic children.
1: So let's talk about... Um how that works, and you have an amazing case study that could kind of walk us through how that looks, and um, and then maybe we'll remember all of the things you're teaching us. So would you tell us the story that I heard you first um, last month, I think?
2: Sure, I'm happy to. And I, I, I use this case study um, to illustrate um, a, sort of the different ways that children end up being vulnerable to this issue of trafficking because of how much time they spend on the internet. And this is just one case of many, many, many cases that our federal task force handles. Um, And this one, you know, obviously a cross section of, of issues. So um, the story is about a little girl, 12 year old girl named Brittany who lived in a um, little town outside of Chicago. And she was, you know, Brittany was just your typical 12 year old kid um, not particularly mature, not like some of the 12-year-olds that really look and act like 19-year-olds, um, but she was really just a, a little girl. And, but she was a little girl who had amazing aspirations of growing up or not growing up, um, but being a supermodel while she was still a, a child. And, you know, lots of little girls have dreams and aspirations and things like that. So that didn't make her really any different than anybody else. So she, you know, she got good grades and she had a good relationship with her parents and she had a lot of friends and, and she loved going on the Internet. And so because she wanted to be a supermodel and that was her dream and her aspiration, she she found one of the many, many, many chat rooms and websites dedicated to modeling and being a supermodel and things like that. And, you know, those aren't hard to find. Obviously, you can just go on Google and, and you know, and type in, I want to be a supermodel, or chat rooms for supermodels. And, and, uh, and that's exactly what she did. And a lot of her friends did the same thing, because obviously at 12 years old, there are a lot of kids who want to grow up to be supermodels. So she found this, um, this chat room called Casting Call, and there are lots of them out there. And she started to pretty regularly go on this chat room and talk to um, other kids, other adults, other people whose interest was modeling. And, you know, she had talked to her parents about this, and her parents knew that she wanted to be a model. And, of course, her parents said what any other good parents would say, and that is, sure, you know, we want you to live your dream, honey, but um, you go to school and get your education, and then when you grow up, you can, you know, do whatever you want. If you want to be a supermodel, go for it. So that, obviously, for a 12-year-old, wasn't a, a satisfactory answer, because Brittany wanted to be a supermodel now. And so here she finds herself in this chat room talking to other people who had the had the same dreams, and lo and behold, who shows up on the, in, the, in the chat room? But a talent agent. Um, great place for um, for a talent agent to go. All these would be and want to be supermodels. So the talent agent starts talking to all of these people, primarily the, the children, obviously. And so he starts talking to them, and he and Brittany strike up this uh, this, this conversation that ultimately led to months of, of a relationship on his part, which was obviously, we now know, grooming behavior on his part. And so he um, he was obviously very adept at child development and issues of, of children and what the trends are and what 12-year-old little girls are into and like. And he was very, very understanding of her dreams and aspirations to be a supermodel. And so she took a liking to him because he really got her. He really understood her and understood what she wanted to be when she grew up. and And in addition, he understood the fact that she was frustrated with her parents because her parents didn't really get it and didn't really understand that she wanted to be a supermodel. So, um, you know, one, one of the things that he said to her over and over and over again was, I get it. You know, your parents love you, but they don't really understand. But I understand. And I understand where you're coming from. And the good news is I'm a I'm a successful talent agent. I can make you a supermodel and then your parents will understand. And so he, he spent a lot of time convincing her of, of that fact. Um, which sort of sends chills up our spines now, obviously, but he sent her portfolios and he sent her magazines and he sent her all this information about all these models who he had successfully um, made into supermodels. And so she was very, very excited because here was this man who actually understood her dreams and actually was going to help her live those dreams. But of course, he said to her, he said, you know, you live in Lake Forest, Illinois. Um, There are no supermodels or aspiring supermodels that are going to make it in... Lake Forest, Illinois. So if you want to be a supermodel, I can help you, and I can guarantee you'll be a supermodel, but you've got to come to Hollywood. And so she said, of course, oh, my my parents would never let me go to Hollywood. um, that, That would never happen. He said, I know, I know, I know, I get this. But once you come to Hollywood, I make you a supermodel, then your parents will understand you'll be able to buy them a big house and take them on vacation and buy them a new car, and they'll be so, so, so proud of you, Brittany, because now you're a supermodel and you've lived your dreams. So after a while, he sends her a cell phone. He starts talking to her on the cell phone, about how this is going to work and how he's going to make her live her dream and all those kinds of things. And so she's buying into it. And so he finally says, all right, you know, I need you to come to Hollywood. I'm going to make you a star. You're my you're my new prodigy. So he, he says, um, you've got the cell phone. Um, I'm going to send you a, an e-ticket for an airline. And what I want you to do is I'm going to, um, they picked a date. And um, she was going to leave at night, obviously, so her parents wouldn't, wouldn't notice that she snuck out. And he said, "I'm going to send a taxi cab to your house, and you've got your uh, e-ticket, and I want you to go out to O'Hare and come out to Ho- come out to Hollywood, and I'll make you a, a supermodel." So she packs her bags and she packs her little teddy bear, and at the appointed hour, she sneaks out of the house. Sure enough, there's a taxi cab there. She jumps in the cab and out she goes to O'Hare, and so she um, gets out of the cab and you know with her teddy bear and her and her little bag, and she uh, goes you know, goes through the, the curb agents and, and goes into the airport and, and uh, walks, walks down all the way down to the gate and, um, and checks in with her, with her E-ticket at the gate. She sits down and she waits for her plane to, to announce that they're boarding. And, you know, sure enough, obviously it does. And she uh, shows her E-ticket to the, to the gate agent and, and off she boards the plane, the, the American Airlines flight from, uh, from O'Hare to uh, Los Angeles. So she gets in her seat and she puts her seatbelt on and and just like all the other passengers and and um, and off she goes. So the flight takes off, the American Airlines flight takes off bound for L.A. and there's 12-year-old Brittany with her little uh, with her little uh, teddy bear and of course being 12 and probably being more like 10 in looks and in in maturity, um, she gets scared. So halfway to Los Angeles, she tells the flight attendant, "Thank goodness, what's going on?" And she tells the flight attendant that she's got this phone and she's meeting this talent agent and he's going to make her a supermodel. And when she lands in L.A., she's supposed to text him that she landed and he'll meet her at baggage claim and and off they'll go. So uh, luckily, the flight attendant tells the pilot, um, the the captain, radios ahead to Los Angeles airport police who call our LAPD um, Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force who rolls out to uh, L.A. International to meet the plane. And so, um, they meet the plane. They, you know, tell all the passengers to stay, stay in their seats. And, um, and they board the plane and they take Brittany into protective custody. And so she tells them this, this story. And so they take the cell phone that she's got in her possession and they send two officers down to baggage claim, uh, to arrest the man who is in fact at the uh, baggage claim waiting for her arrival. So they, uh, they, they take the cell phone. They do forensics on the cell phone and the forensics on the, on the phone number that he's been using to contact Brittany comes back to a location in San Diego. And so they, uh, they confirm the, the address and the location in San Diego, and they call down to the San Diego Police Department to ask for their assistance to roll out to the, um, to the location and see what they got. So uh, interestingly enough, the uh, officer who answers the phone in San Diego says, you know, we, we, can't, we can't do that and um, for some strange reason. And so the detective goes up the channels in San Diego PD, and they come to find out that the San Diego Police Department has an ongoing vice investigation at that location, and they don't want to roll out there because they don't want to blow their undercover operations. So um, frustrated, they still continue to go up to the watch commander and lieutenants, and nobody will in Pasadena, in uh, sorry in, uh, San Diego PD will roll out the location. So um, they end up calling the FBI field office in San Diego, um, who sends two agents out to the location um, in San Diego and finds 17 children being mm. held against their will, obviously, in this boarded-up, windows-covered house. All these kids in the same room, four, four boys, the rest girls, all being held there for the purposes of rolling them out on the streets as prostitutes in South San Diego County and and, uh, and Tijuana. So a horrifying discovery, obviously, by the agents who, who um, arrived at this house, and these kids were barely fed and, and drugged up and, and dirty and, and obviously terrified being held in this, in this room. And, um, and so, um, when we obviously rescued those kids and, and, um, and interviewed, did the forensic interviews with them and discovered that while some of them were runaways and it ended up there because of being runaways, um, many of them had been, um, had been abducted and thereafter exploited, um, the same way, Brittany had in the saying and this is obviously where Brittany was headed with this house in San Diego, and so they had been found on the internet by similar and similar means and similar ways and were headed down to uh, to San Diego to be part of that sex trafficking ring of, of these children in um, in south san Diego county and uh, really kind of a horrifying story um, because it was so so incredibly easy for Brittany and other children to fall prey to the, you know, the, the wiles and the guiles of, of this um, man who was pretending to be a talent agent when, in fact, he was really a, a trafficker of, of children. And it's just always amazing, and I know this was amazing to you as well, Sandy, um, to, to think about from the time she left her house how many adults saw this little girl who really did look like she was about 10 years old, um, from the from the taxi cab driver when when she got in the, the cab at her house, to the curb agents at O'Hare, um, to any adults um, who saw her in the terminal, to the TSA agents, to the American Airlines gate agents and um, and gate crew who took her e-ticket and welcomed her to her flight, um, and none of those adults thought that it would be important to say to this little girl, "Who are you traveling with?" You know. Where are you going? Who are you with? what adults are, are with you? Where's your unaccompanied minor necklace or any of those things and that's really sort of a horrifying thought that all the adults who who crossed paths with Brittany um during that time period didn't think to, to speak up and um and come to her defense and um and it, how, how much it would have helped her in the terror it probably would have saved her as she was flying um on that flight before she she told the the flight attendant. So really a horrifying thought and and sort of opens our eyes to the fact that our kids really are vulnerable when they're on the internet, you know, looking around in these, talking to to strangers, if you will, in these chat rooms and how they can fall prey so easily to to these kinds of things. Well, I
1: have a lot of questions, Tracy, but first I need to know what happened to Brittany. Is she okay?
2: Brittany's fine. Um, You know, Brittany's as fine as as anybody can be having gone in that situation. Um, Kids, as you know, are very resilient and and she's had a lot of therapy, and and uh, you know was obviously reunited with her parents back in Illinois, and and um and yeah, she's okay. But um you know the other kids obviously are are you know being supported by the system and their and their families as best they can. Obviously, some of them don't have as quite as intact families as as Brittany does. Um, but you know she she's fine. Yeah.
0: Tracy uh, Sandy may be asking this question too, but I'm just curious as from and forgive my naivete on this, but is it, are there rules and regulations about children getting on airplanes at certain ages? It just seems like something that's so hard to imagine a child of that age of not, like you said, not being asked by any adult or, or being confronted or even someone being curious.
2: Well, I, I know, I mean, I share your curiosity about that. Obviously, I don't, I'm not, you know, adept at the you know um, airline regulations or the FAA regulations. And I'd, I'd be curious about that myself. Um, but it, it, it sort of seems to me just kind of common sense or common humanity um, if you see, you know, people see little puppies or dogs um, loose on the street and will, you know, stop traffic in order to save a, a little puppy. And it always is kind of amazing to me that, that somebody, and, and we do have that sort of I don't want to get involved mentality, but it, it is amazing to me that just sort of your run-of-the-mill traveler didn't, didn't look and say something. Um, you know, we have that post nine eleven. If you see something, say something, uh, PR campaign and I think it really does a- apply to children, but but you know, taking it a step further, uh, which I think is your question, is the sort of the professionals, um, the you know, the TSA workers, the airline workers, who really, you know, I know when my children traveled, they if they traveled by themselves, they had to have the necklace with the big sign that said unaccompanied minor and they had a um an airline employee who was assigned to them and traveled with them from the time I left them until the time they arrived at the destination. So I don't, it'll be very interesting to see, um, sort of how cases like this, and these aren't isolated cases, obviously, um, uh, how they evolve and how the airline industry might step up and, and, um, and help us out if you will.
1: Well, and to speak to that, our next podcast, we're going to take a look at what is the airline and travel industry doing about this very issue. But, I want to go back to the beginning of Brittany's story in her own home, um, the understanding about how safe it is for a child to go on the Internet. Tell us what you think about that.
2: Well, you know, it's very interesting because obviously the Internet has evolved over the years into um, pretty much a day-to-day life for most of us, and that includes children. And, you know, all of the latest studies tell us that children are spending hours and hours and hours every single day using the internet and it really is no different I mean we were all all raised and we probably all raised our children to not talk to strangers and now we have this um, amazing device that allows them to talk to strangers there are even some new apps out there that literally advertise themselves as talk to strangers and sure we all like to meet new people and we all like to expand our horizons but when you're talking about children um, they are very vulnerable because there are so many good things about the internet but there are so many ways that they can be victimized and exploited because um, the, you know, the opportunities are endless for communication when you're talking about the world wide web of, of the Internet. And so um, you know and obviously as parents, as even the most diligent parents, we can't, can't and don't watch our children 24 hours a day, seven days a week, especially when they're sleeping. Um, but many, many kids, obviously, um, are curious and um as as kids are about anything, and they um, and they will uh, search around and explore the internet and sometimes stumble upon things that just aren't very safe for them. so
1: in my world of working as an advocate for children, I have encountered a lot of people who feel like if we just tell kids that the internet isn't safe and we warn them, that's really good prevention strategies. But I have a sense personally that we need to build a stronger community of adults to protect children. And that starts in the home, but it also is out in our community, airlines, taxi drivers, all teachers, whomever. But, um, the, the amount of time in Brittany's story where this person groomed her online just staggers my imagination. I think um, most of the stories and things have been so condensed that it sounds like it's it happens in one or two conversations. But the idea that someone you meet as a stranger literally becomes a friend, uh, that, how do we protect our kids from stuff like that?
2: Well, it's very true. And it's very, it's very, very true that, the, you know, the predators who we you know, end up prosecuting in, in these kinds of cases, whether it's Internet predators or whether it's the traffickers, um, it really is amazing how, first of all, how adept they are at child development issues, as well as how patient they are. And it is not just a, a, you know, a one-time thing where you sort of think about the old-fashioned um, scary guy in an alley in a trench coat who reaches out and grabs a child. It's, it's not really like that anymore. It's more this very, very patient grooming process. And so children develop this sense of security um, and, um, you know, sort of feel like they have the safety and the anonymity of being in their own room behind their own, um, you know, ostensibly private um, keyboard. And um, in fact, it's not. And so I think um, it is incumbent upon not just parents and and educators and and clergy and anybody else who's part of the child's life, but the community as a whole um, to really, um, first of all, understand and develop an awareness themselves at the lack of privacy um, and the vulnerability that we have on the Internet. And then um, make sure that we have that sort of diligent awareness, if you will, um, coupled with effective communication, so that children don't just hear it once, but they end they end up hearing it um, sort of the same battle cry, if you will, from all the adults in their life. That while the internet is really a wonderful, wonderful place and a wonderful tool, it does have um, these these uh, these safety issues that that children really do need to be aware of with the adults in their life, making sure that they've got um, an eye on them as, as often as they can, as much as they can.
1: I tell parents that. It's just like teaching your kids to brush their teeth. You tell them over and over and over and over again. It's just such, it has to be taught from the time they're really young so that they begin to really assimilate that information and believe it.
2: That's exactly right. And I think, you know, coupled with that, we have to impress upon uh, adults, parents, and, and, you know, have is in a child's life that we aren't going to drop our child off, you know, out of the car in the middle of, you know, a gigantic city and say, Hey, I'll see you later. Um, we're not going to drop them off in downtown Manhattan or in downtown Los Angeles or in downtown Chicago and say, you know, have a nice day. We're going to keep track of them. We're going to, we're going to go with them. We're going to hold their hand. We're going to instruct them and teach them as they're moving through the the city, if you will. And it's no different on the internet because while, you know, sure you can do all sorts of fantastic research projects and, and, and homework on the internet, You can really accidentally stumble into some place that, as an adult, you might think, oh, that's bad news. But as a child, you might think, wow, this is interesting. This is fun. Um, This person really understands me. And um, and kids are very vulnerable to that, as you know.
1: So what can the parents do?
2: Um, (laughs) So that, that ends up sort of being the million dollar question, you know. And. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of uh, practical things that they can do as far as um, as their computer and their, and their smartphone technological devices are concerned. But I think it really starts with what you mentioned earlier, and that is um, this sort of diligence and awareness about what's going on out there. I mean, uh, the Internet changes so quickly. Um, it advances so quickly. There are new things really every day, no exaggeration. And so I think parents need to educate themselves. Um, or adults in general, not just parents, but anybody who has any kind of a contact, contact with a child um, has to be aware of what the vulnerabilities are as far as children and what's out there on the Internet. I think they need to communicate with one another. Um, they need to be diligent about keeping up with um, what their children are doing online and where they're going. And all that all goes back to communication. And a lot of it, I, you know, I tell parents all the time, your children are so amazingly brilliant when it comes to technology and how to navigate technology, but they don't understand it's not private. They don't understand that they don't have a right to privacy when they're using the internet. And so they need, they need help. And that means um, because they're so smart, as an adult, have the children interests. Just say, hey, you're really good at this technology. Teach me how it works. What's this Instagram thing? Show me how that works. What about Snapchat? I keep hearing about Snapchat. How does that work? Hey, when you go in a chat room, who do you talk to? And what kind of pictures do you post? And all those kinds of questions that will allow the child to essentially educate or teach us when, in fact, we're really not only learning but keeping track of of what they're doing online. And then, you know, you can couple that with the, you know, the parental uh, software that's out there and, the, and the, um, the different things that are available to keep the actual piece of technology safer, but not 100% safe, because no matter what you do, it's never going to take away the fact that there's no privacy.
1: So no matter what you do, there is no privacy. So there is no um, perfect software that's going to protect my child when I'm not around.
2: Unfortunately not. There's nothing that's going to make this this vastness of the Internet private. Um, no matter how much we want it to be private, no matter how hard we try, no matter how diligent we are with our privacy settings, it's never going to be 100% private for us or for our children. So we really have to, pay, first of all, understand that, and second of all, pay attention to the lack of privacy that's out there.
1: So when I look at um, the old rules and guidelines that we first started sharing with parents, Uh, one of the first ones was make sure that the computer is located in a high traffic area. So that kind of works during the homework time, but now it seems like so many kids have smartphones and, um, I talked to some parents and they discovered their kids were online at night in the middle of the night, they'd wake up and go online or, or little girls who sleep with their cell phone, um, uh on vibrate so that if a friend texts them, they'll know about it. Um, This kind of hypervigilance with, with being connected outside of our own little world is a little bit scary.
2: Oh, I think it's a lot scary and you're right. I mean, that's, that's the mode of communication for this generation. And it's like, it, you know, it's the idea of our, our parents telling us when we were teenagers that we couldn't use the telephone. That's our lifeline to our friends. And now Kids have this piece of technology in their hands, potentially 24-7, and that's how they stay in contact with their friends, which, of course, is the most important thing um, in their world. And so, but, you know, we're the parents. And so, you know, it it sort of takes us over to that Parenting 101 class where you have to be, um, you know, you have to make sure your child understands that that phone, that smartphone that you were nice enough to give them doesn't, in fact, belong to them. It belongs to you, which means you have control over it. And so if that means, um taking the phone before the the child goes to sleep at night then you know that's that's the, the rule in, in your house if you will um but they do spend so much time online that we have to somehow take it upon ourselves to control it and um for for their sake and um you know and for them to be online in the middle of the night they they become that much more vulnerable and you know you're right when in in the old days of of internet safety we were saying things like you know, keep the computer in the main room and have your parental controls and check the history and and check the hidden files and all those um, things that really were the safety measures 10 years ago, if you will. But now the kids are so smart that they can disable that parental control software and do what they want and then re-enable it before we even realized it was disabled because they're so, so smart. They know how to clear the history. They know, you know, what we're up to as far as keeping them safe. So we've got to take it that step further and um and make sure that we're um looking at their phones and checking their phones and taking their phones and not allowing them to um to be so connected uh so many hours of the day
1: so we want parents to be the parent <laughs> yeah exactly. that's what protection exactly. yeah. that prevention yeah, at- is is equipping the parents to protect the child
2: absolutely and you know there are a lot of parents who don't want to do that there are a lot of parents who say oh my child just has to have a telephone um when I had talked to a, a dad not too not too long ago, who was really really upset because his five year old wanted a phone because all of her friends had a phone, and I just I almost didn't even know what to say to him. But I think that um, we in some ways succumb to the peer pressure that we don't really want our kids to succumb to, uh-huh. and so we end up giving them the technology because we want them to like us, or we want them. We don't want to be the, the meanest mom in the world that I was, mm-hmm. and. um so in turn, you know, they're they're children and they're not their brains aren't developed and so they don't know how to use it as safely as we would like them. So to use it and keep themselves in trouble. So yeah, we have to be parents.
1: Be parents. That's a good one. We'll have to do a podcast on parenting safety.
2: Parenting one hundred and
0: one. You know, it's interesting, Sandy. I think about it so much and how it does really start early. I mean, we have a son who's almost two years old, and we we have um, uh, someone, uh, extended family member, came to our house recently and uh, said, "Well," they had fed Luke a bunch of animal crackers and they said well Luke wanted them <laughs> <laughs> and and i and it's so easy to get in that pattern as a parent or a caregiver early on in a child's life of giving kids what they want and being hesitant to set those boundaries and it's kind of that slippery slope of as parents we really do need to set those boundaries early and often on what are the appropriate places and be willing to say no and be willing to have those those good, healthy, you know, guidelines for kids that they don't see themselves. And I, I think that's really a key piece. Maybe we should do a topic on parenting and self-confidence because yeah. it is, it is, it does get to the, well, we talk about the root of prevention. How do we really be proactive in looking at some of these things before a child gets on an airplane?
2: What I, well, I think that's very true. And I think the other point is a lot of it, and obviously I'm not a psychologist and, and I don't teach the parenting 101 class, but I was a parent. And I, but I think a lot of it is, modeling in our own behavior mm. and if our children see us at a very young age putting our technology down and not being on the phone when we're at the dinner table or or um, you know texting when we should be having family time or whatever it is then they see that modeling from a very young age and then they understand it a little bit better so I think it's you know sort of a multifaceted approach as parents
1: well I think that um, child abuse policy um I'm beginning to look at some things differently. If you let your child run around in the street or close to a freeway, um, you would be um, investigated for um, putting your child at risk. So at some point along the line, parents are going to have to start taking some kind of culpability in this whole issue of their kids being so vulnerable. So I'm not sure how those lines are going to be drawn because we can't see the street.
2: Oh, you it, know, it's absolutely true, and it's um, and I I think part of it is that adults, parents, if you will, don't really understand how vulnerable their children are when they're on the internet, and um, you know, Brittany's parents taking it back to that, they weren't bad parents, um, and we can't expect them to stand there and watch Brittany, you know, sleep every every minute of every day, um, but they weren't aware of what she was doing. They didn't know that she was on that chat room. They didn't know. They weren't paying attention enough to know that she had gotten a, a cell phone in the, in the mail and that she was actually on that cell phone that they didn't even know she had talking to this man. And so it's, it, a lot of it's just opening our eyes to the potential vulnerabilities.
1: So one of the things that encourages me is that you are um, at the forefront of investigation and prosecution. So tell us what happened to the bad guys in Brittany's story so that we can sleep tonight.
2: <laughs> yeah, so the good news is that we do have the Federal Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, which is nationwide, in fact, worldwide, um, working on these cases, doing the investigations, doing the prosecution from both a regional and a federal standpoint. So, um, you know, crimes like that, obviously, crossing state lines are federal crimes. People get prosecuted in federal court. And um, and luckily on some of those, you know, luring situations end up with um, with um, some, pretty, some pretty good custody time um, from, from our standpoint. So the good news is that the people like that, that case is still pending, but, um, but the good news is, um, we'll sometimes get some, you know, 30 to 50 year sentences in federal prison, um, for some of these people who prey on and exploit children. So, um, you know, the good news is when we, when we do our jobs, right, we end up, um, locking these guys up. Um, but boy, we can't do it alone. And that's you know kind of the point of the whole conversation is as hard as we try from a law enforcement standpoint, we're not going to, investigate and prosecute our way out of this, out of this problem.
1: We have um, to do prevention.
2: Technology. We've got to yeah. do the prevention, we've got to do the awareness, and we've got to have the help from the community, whether it's the airlines, whether it's the, you know, the, the churches, whether it's the schools, whoever it is, we, we can't do it alone. We need, we need the help of the entire community.
1: Well, I thank you so much for giving us your time today, and we are going to engage our community in this issue. We're going to do the best we can to um, help other people understand how important Internet safety is and how it's changing every single day.
0: And Tracy? Well,
2: I I really appreciate you guys doing it because this awareness is is really important. So thank you both for, for what you're doing to help us.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and thank you, Tracy, for the difficult work you do. I know uh, it, it is difficult, the issues and the things you see on a daily basis. And thank you for being willing to be out there and working on behalf of all of us to help end human trafficking. And, uh, you know, one of the ways, Sandy, that folks can really continue to uh, be more aware of these issues is to engage with the show and engage with the center. Yes. And Um, one thing you can do is if you do have comments or questions about the show is email us at gcwj at vanguard.edu or you can call us 714-966-6360 and thank you so much to those of you who have written reviews on itunes uh you know if you found this episode valuable today i know i did and really learned a lot um Write a review on iTunes. That helps other people to find this. It helps more people to be aware of these issues. And the more we can do that, the more we work together end human trafficking. Thanks, Sandy. Thank
1: you, Dave. And thanks, Tracy Webb.